This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we go live to Odessa, Dr. Hannah Shalist, Foreign Policy Counsel with Ukrainian Prism, to give us the latest update from the ground of Odessa as springtime begins with a little bit of normal and a little bit of war and some insight from there too. Andrew Van Voot, Provincial Director of Alberta Disability Without Poverty, joins the Shift to discuss disability awareness in light of the incident on the weekend with Will Smith and Chris Rock, as well as CODA winning the Oscar for Best Picture and bringing to the forefront of our thoughts and our presence, disabilities and disabilities awareness. It's important that we do that. Plus, with Good News Tuesday, some good news from Toronto, some good news from Surrey, and good news all across Canada. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, this is a very, very important day of the week. It's the moment of all the week where we get to share all the great things that are going on in our lives. Why? Well, there's enough bad things going on. How about we take a moment and we celebrate all of the good things with Good News Tuesday-ish. Good news, everyone. It's about time for some good news. Tell me something good. 877-399-9898. What does good news sound like? It sounds like anything that makes you feel fantastic. Absolutely. My daughter has picked up, uh, I don't say bodybuilding. She's actually started playing rugby. I've shared that on the shift. It's a women's rugby. And um, with that comes all kinds of workouts, squats, uh, clean and jerk, all kinds of workouts. And I saw some videos of her today for the first time in her fitness class. Fitness class is so different than when we went to school, man. There is like full on weightlifting with a, you know, proper weightlift instructor, full on gym stuff. When we went to school, there might have been dodgeball. Or remember those, those like, they're like those old torture stretch rack things that were on the walls that nobody ever really knew what they were there for. Like you never really used them in the gym. Um, yeah, no, that's not fitness today. Fitness in the gyms is literally full on workouts, fitness center style. And I saw her workouts on, on the video today and pretty amazing, man. My little sprite of a, uh, almost 16 year old redhead daughter crushing it, frankly. Really cool. I'm pretty sure she's lifting more weight than me. Yeah, they don't really teach us like the proper, or they didn't. I don't know if they do now. They don't. They didn't really teach us like the proper, you know, technique, uh, the proper like ergonomic way to stretch and the proper ergonomic, you know, way to lift. They just gave us like a weight and said, "Go, go lift this." That's what happened to me in yeah. gym class when I was, you know, back in the '90s. Well, we did. Um, we did, uh, like I always liked badminton. Of course, you did the basics of the basketball and the volleyball, mm-hmm. probably some floor hockey. But aside from that, some two-stepping, maybe a little bit of um, a jive. We did the jive dance in mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. That was, um, yeah. we, we did that. And um, I mean, the fitness center. Remember those old weights, the kind of brown, gold, plastic-covered weights that you know, the really old one, retro ones that mm-hmm. some dumbbells, oh, yeah. there was probably a couple of those around. Yeah. That was about it. Did you get the one, uh, did you get the, the fitness with the tone and running back and forth across the gym and the tone mm-hmm. would get quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker? Yeah. I mean, like stops and starts kind of thing? Yeah. Like back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember it's, those suicides, they call them in hockey. It's funny because I used to give up pretty easily back in the day. I was not uh, very athletically inclined as a high schooler, but now I'm all really? about that stuff. Yeah, now you're all healthy. What happened? 
I, I don't know. It's different phases of life, I suppose, you know? <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, I don't, I don't drink or, or t- you know, uh, participate in the, the marijuana, so I've got to get my endorphin somewhere, so I get it by yeah. doing push-ups. <laughs> participate in the marijuana? You don't pass the duchy? No, not anymore. <sighs> I like that song, though. It's a great song, isn't it? It is, yeah. It absolutely is a fantastic song. Okay, here we are. Good news. Tuesday-ish. Let's share some good news. Good news. Brendan Kelly is sober. <laughs> yeah. Feels great, though, right? Yeah. I like that. Um, good news. I still like uh, cider. So, Good news. David Alberta says, my two-year-old grandson is starting to use the potty. Yay. Thanks, David Alberta. That's a nice story. That's always a celebration, especially with the boys, because the girls are smart. Ah, the young boys. They're not so fast with that stuff. You know, some floaties or something in the toilet to aim for. That's what we had to do. My daughter, she's 16 months younger than my son, 15 months younger than my son. I mean, she had it figured out pretty sure before my son did. So all you parents, you know what I'm saying. 877-399-9898. Um, those things in the gym, they're pegboards. Yeah, I remember those with the poles. You used to do the things and try to, yeah, but we didn't ever do that. There was these like racks, these horizontal racks that were in all the gyms and nobody ever did anything with it. Um, it's like nobody knew how to use them, but they were in every gym. Back in the day, that's because the gym teacher was also the science teacher, the math teacher, etc. in elementary school. Well, that could be. Thank you, Steve. What is your good news? Oh, I saw some of these when I was driving in Vancouver on Saturday. Steve says the daffodils are blooming and the bluebells are coming up. Also, the uh, cherry blossoms I saw in Richmond oh, were yeah. pink and beautiful. Yeah, they're giving me the usual um, spring sneezes these days, which for the last now, this will be the third spring where you're like, oh, no, is it COVID? No, it's the, it's the sneezes from the cherry blossoms. The thing about these plants that these sort of perennials that keep coming back, keep coming back like the daffodils, there is a ditch in an industrial park in Richmond that has a nicer garden than my house. <laughs> and it's just by accident. Like there, that ditch is filled with daffodils. It's beautiful. And, and it's a ditch. Um, and I can't grow anything on purpose. What does that say? That's how, that's a bad green thumb right there. Good news Tuesday is here on the shift. Ron is in Poco, Port Coquitlam. Hey, Ron. Hey, how you doing, Shady? Good, bud. What's, we're talking a little oh. good news around high school, so what do you got there? Well, good news around high school. Uh, I guess I was in the privileged section of town in Vancouver. Um, Ooh, we had a universal gym, and uh, nobody used it without a spotter. <laughs> All right, and uh, we had the climbing thing on the wall, and we had ropes yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the climbing thing on the wall was actually... Uh, if you've ever gone through the military, um, that was the beginning of the obstacle course. If you could actually do a handstand at uh-huh. the top of the wall. What? Um, yeah, a handstand at the top of the wall. And you had to reach the top of the wall in like uh, 14 seconds. Uh, you got 10 extra points for the course. Uh-huh. Yeah, well... Okay, first of all, it, we can, how many people can actually do a handstand on the ground, let alone the top of it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, uh, it, it takes practice, but uh, yes, it is possible. Wow. Uh, at at Hansendo, uh, uh the master used to be able to, uh, like, literally run to the wall and run up the wall and do a flip. Oh, uh, one of our gym coaches, uh, used, he, and he was built like a bowling ball or a bowling pin. <laughs> And uh, oh. <laughs> he used to be able to do a, a standing a standing backflip. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, yeah the that's... other coach used to be able to uh, uh, leg press 750. On really, eh? And this is school teachers? These are school teachers. Wow. That's uh, amazing. It's, uh, 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 seven of my uh, elementary and uh, high school teachers were actually former university professors. Oh, that's a neat story. I like that. That's very cool. Hey, thanks so much, Ron, from Poco. we got to go to Anne in Surrey. When we started Good News Tuesday, Anne shared the story about her brother. Oh, Anne, that's got to be over a year ago, a year and a half ago almost now that we started this conversation. Well, it started at the very beginning. He had a stroke at the very beginning of COVID. Yeah. And uh, so that was a couple of years ago, yeah. So yeah, he, wow, um, that's incredible. He had a stroke in in between the left and the right side of the brain, and he was not to get better. You don't get better. Well, he got um, he had a tracheotomy. He had uh, intravenous and all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, intubation. He's in Montreal. I'm in Vancouver, and um, eventually he was sent to palliative to die. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he got to palliative, seemed to get better. He uh, ended up. Um, without the tracheotomy, he was eating uh, pureed kind of food. And my daughter, who's a nurse, said, expect him to die that way because most of them die choking on food. Well, he got better and better. He started eating food that was a bit lumpier and stuff. And and then a doctor called me. He said, I've been a palliative doctor for three years, and it's the first time ever I'm recommending your brother to go to rehab. So he went to rehab. He got a little bit better. He's in long-term care now in Montreal in a place called Father Dowd. He's getting really good care. And um, I don't think I ever told you about his uh, trumpet playing his music. Mm. Yeah, I think you did. I remember it. But please tell us again quickly. Okay. Um, I was six, so he would have been five. And my dad brought home a little cornet. And uh, my older brother played some god-awful note. And then Warren picked it up, and he played a beautiful, clear high C. I can remember it, and I was just a little kid. And my dad was floored. My dad's big interest in life was music. And so he went on to um, do Extraordinary on the trumpet, and uh, he played Old Canada and St. Bruno there when we had our Canadian flag going up for the first time. And uh, Air Force Band, when he was just a kid, he was the only one allowed in. It was all men. And I thought he was drowning one time. We had a place out on, on um, Lake Champlain, the country place. And he went underwater, and he didn't come up. I thought he drowned. And he'd come up way, way the other side, long, long ways away. He could swim wow. so good underwater. So you the know, update, Yeah, the update, please, Anne. That's wonderful. Please. Okay. The update is that um, he's going to a different floor because he's not getting enough stimulation there. And he's managed to be able to work the radio by himself now, which he couldn't do before. And I was going to call you like a month ago, but I was too embarrassed because I thought I might break down crying. And it's such a simple thing. I want, like, I'm on Zoom with him once a week. 
and I saw him pick up a cookie and just eat it like anybody would. And I, I, I cry about it all the time. I just oh. think, wow, you know? That's amazing. That's beautiful. Well, and I, I would like to, I would like you to know that, um, you are more than welcome to call and cry here any day. Um, there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. I mean, it's a beautiful story that you share about your brother. And I'm so excited to hear that, uh, he continues to improve. And, uh, I, I think I get it, you know, to see him just sort of be, look normal for a second to just pick up a cookie and, and take a bite. That must feel amazing for you. Oh, it really does. Can I say something else quickly about something yeah. else? Absolutely. Yeah, you were talking before before the commercial break about um, like comparing yourself. Oh, I'm only this, and look at him, look at her, look at what they can do. Doctor mm-hmm. Phil said something last week. He said, "Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to yourself. If mm-hmm. you're doing better yesterday, or if you're doing better today than yesterday, then." Like because of something you did or you learned, then you're a success and don't compare yourself to anybody else. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's absolutely right. You got to say it like Dr. Phil, don't compare yourself to yourself <laughs> and kind of yell a little bit. Uh, and thank you so much for the story, Ann and Surrey. It's great to hear from you. Thank you for the update. Bye bye. Gail is in Toronto. Now, Gail, you've been so patient for us here on hold. Thank you so much. Will you please share your good news? Well, I called in with good news, which I will share. But my even better good news is that when you put me on hold, mm-hmm. my old lady bladder actually made it to the bathroom and back to the phone before you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so true, though? Such a simple thing in life to be happy about. That's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> the reason I called in was because um, I have a, a disability and I'm older. And the other day, I was on the subway in Toronto, and I have noticed that the young people in particular, they see me get on a bus or a subway, they get up right away and give me a seat, and little things like that. But the other day on the subway, we had one of those, you know, um, this train is going out of service because, and there was some incident somewhere. So we all had to get off the train, make our way up to ground level, and then find a shuttle bus and so on and so forth. But the good news piece was that this young man came over, offered his arm, and held on to me through the entire thing. And, of course, we got to the top, found where the bus was, and they announced that we could now go back to the subway. Oh, and no. he came all the way back down with me and made sure I got a seat. Oh, beautiful. Isn't that wonderful? And my, and my other good news is I'm sitting here munching on Hawkins cheesies. Are you really? Oh, that's beautiful. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> good night. <laughs> good night. Thank you so much. Gail is in Toronto sharing her good news. This is the Shift Podcast. We all saw the news from the weekend. We've talked about it uh, a lot on the radio. There's so many different angles to speak about. Will Smith, Chris Rock. There is one piece, and I said on the Shift earlier this week, I said, what a missed opportunity that was. Uh, People make mistakes. Who is wrong? Everybody's wrong, I suppose, is probably a safe landing point. But the missed opportunity uh, is to stand up for the people 
that are going through things that we may or may not understand or may or may not be familiar with, and we just don't like to talk about. And I wanted to bring on one of your favorites here on The Shift, and your feedback has been very clear that Andrea Van Voet is one of the uh, most uh, insightful conversations we've had. Andrea is the Provincial Director of Alberta of Disability Without Poverty. Uh, invisible disability is sort of uh, a nice, easy way to say that. Andrea, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm I'm doing really great, and I appreciate you being here. And what a great opportunity for us, since Will Smith missed the opportunity to stand up for his wife in a way that he felt um, might have actually provided a little bit of, he calls himself a vessel of love. Uh, since it was a missed opportunity, in my opinion, to take a stand without violence, um, we can um, we can take this opportunity, you and I, to talk about um, in disability awareness in general, and and how we often don't understand it, and sometimes these confusing outcomes are a part of it. And this happens every day, everywhere, with people with disabilities when we don't understand what's going on. What's your takeaway uh, that we need to start this conversation with? Uh, my takeaway is that we need to be talking about the disability itself. So we're, we're talking about the comment that Chris Rock made and we're talking about the either if we think it's cruel or appropriate. We're talking about Will Smith and uh, if he should have made violence or how he should have gone about it. But we're not talking about Jada and we're not talking about Jada's medical condition and the empathy that we can have uh, for her and with her and the action we can take. So I think that it's a good opportunity uh, through a situation in popular culture that lends itself for an opportunity to talk about disability. When we actually had a really great uh, bunch of text messages that came in from the Shifthead community that talked about exactly that. And, and one, I'm going to paraphrase what it was, because you might not have heard my previous comments about this situation was people say, well, he's standing up for his wife. No, that's not standing up for your wife. That's punishing another human being. Let's call it what it is. And um, he could have stood up for his wife. He could have walked up on that stage and stood on the steps and said, I'm this show will not continue until you apologize to my wife or until you hear this. He could have said almost 7 million people in America have alopecia. And if you don't know what alopecia is, you lose your hair and you don't have a choice in the matter, and only 10% of the people actually heal from it and recover, many people end up completely hairless in some fashion. And it is more common than we know, and your joke about baldness is inappropriate, and I'm not going to let this show continue until you apologize for that comment. And he could have done that and created awareness around alopecia in that moment. That's my take. And uh, he didn't. So we're going to take the opportunity to do that is... Is, is that at least, this is only opinion, but a seemingly more appropriate stand if you've got such a gigantic public forum in a situation like that to, um, to say, hey, whoa, this is, this is not okay. You, don't, you might not understand what's going on, fine, but what's happening doesn't work. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, your opinion. I, when I heard about what happened, I first of all felt anger and then I felt sadness, and then I felt frustration, and then I thought about action. So there is uh, both pain and anger behind disability because it's something you can't help and it can really affect self-esteem. So uh, people that 
our supporters within the disability community maybe see for just a moment how Will Smith was extremely angry and and how his wife clearly was uh, upset about the comment. Now, that doesn't mean that he has to go on stage and take violence, right? So Yeah. Well, isn't that the case when you see somebody and um, who has a visible disability and you somebody might make a comment or make a joke or think it's funny? Dr. Jody Carrington, who's a child psychologist in Alberta, I quote her all the time, and she always says, mad is sad in disguise. So let's let's create a reframe here of what this this could be, regardless of the actions being appropriate or inappropriate. Imagine this. Imagine you have a guy who feels incredibly helpless because his wife has a medical condition and he's sad. He can't help her. There's nothing he can do. Someone else is making comments in a very public forum. Therefore, he becomes mad. Now, if you think about a guy who is helpless because their partner has uh, a, a condition that they can't do anything about and someone else is making comments, the experience of that. Now that puts it right into our lives, Andrea. That puts it right into uh, the guy or the gal that's walking out of the grocery store and someone makes a comment or doesn't help or or something. That That's real life stuff right there. Yeah, and I think that we also have to think about the accountability on Chris Rock's side. So if he was aware of her illness, then why did he make the cruel comments? Yeah. And if for some reason he wasn't aware of the illness, then why doesn't she get an apology from him for those comments? So, I mean, it is not just about the people with disability or the people supporting them. It's about the public taking accountability for making the change that needs to happen with disability awareness. So where do we start with disability awareness, Andrea? Um, I would like to acknowledge the fact that you also live with disability. Maybe you can help uh, for people who don't know who you are and what what your um, life looks like. Maybe help us understand that perspective and how do we understand what is disability when, you know, there's an awful lot of conditions out there that affect people's lives. So uh, I, I guess it's it would be reckless of us to say, learn everything about every disability and right, like you'd, you'd spend your whole life and still not be done. So how, how do we do that and how do we understand this? Well, I think we ask people, first of all, the people that are willing to self-identify as disabled or living with a disability, we can talk about it with them. Uh, for me, it's epilepsy. So what that means for me from a medical place is that I take three different types of medication twice a day. And I have around 10 to 12 seizures a month. So that means that I lose consciousness and uh, I become ill afterwards and I have a completely horrible memory. So I know that we've had this conversation before. I remember that. But um, it, it's, I, I can be a sick person sometimes and a well person sometimes and it's in, uh, invisible. So how can we bring it to uh, the public? Well, I think that, first of all, a lot of the time it helps with bringing statistics to the public because those are a little bit easier to intake than talking about every single disability from A to Z. So one in five people in Canada have a disability. Um, That's a lot of people when you think of it that way, isn't it? mm -hmm, That's a lot of people. That's millions and millions, I would say. It's almost two million just on some basic math in my head. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, with my work right now with disability without poverty, a number, uh, another number that's interesting is forty-one percent of people in poverty are people with disabilities, 
And so when people have those numbers, I find that people want to make that change happen. Uh, the benefits of the awareness shift the view of disability and establish the problem of ableism in our culture. Huh. So I wanted to bring up some um, numbers because it's a little less than 2 million just on some rough math. So if you think about people who live with disabilities, let's go to Manitoba. 1.3 million people, population 1.4 million people in Manitoba. So let's put that into the Canada context for everybody of people living with disabilities. Imagine an entire province. That's the number. So that's how uh, important is it that we understand what's going on here because we actually have a province in Canada that has a similar number. That would be an entire population of a province that's living with a condition like this. So that puts it directly into context uh, for everybody specifically. Mm -hmm. That's a staggering number, Andrea. Yeah, it's a large number. And I mean, uh, the, you know, the number for Manitoba for employment and income assistance is $1,518. So imagine 44% of people in Manitoba with disabilities make $1,500 a month for their income assistance. So I don't mean to be just bringing it back to the income disparity, but it's like we live in a culture that is capitalist. I don't know if that's vulgar to say that so clearly, but uh, there is money that's valued. And if people equate to money, then let's talk those numbers. Mm -hmm. oh, I think it's, I don't think it's vulgar. I think it's, it's honest. I mean, I think that's the reality. Um, we, we often forget real quick, don't we? We forget real quick about the things that we don't see. Um, and we often forget real quick when it's not in our yard. I mean, if you ask anybody who has someone with a disability in their family, they will tell you it's at the forefront of their mind. And somebody who doesn't have disability in their family, that it's not. And how terrifying is it for anybody that has had disability become introduced into their family, even if it's something as simple as old age mm -hmm. and the sort of uh, erosion of mobility and cognitive thinking that comes with people getting older. That's scary. It is. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that Jada said explicitly in one of her conversations about the disability is that she was standing in the shower and she was terrified to having clumps of her hair coming out um, off of her head. So, mm. I mean, that paints a picture of, uh, you know, if, if you could be standing in the shower and something like that would be happening to you, I'm pretty sure Chris Rock wouldn't make the joke, would he? No, I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't. And alopecia has hit us too. Uh, our handy Andy Barrar, who is our guest on Monday, is our DIY guy. He put out a tweet after this. Uh, he had shared with us privately before, but he put it out publicly about alopecia in his life. Mm -hmm. You know, and he does have a spot now where um, the hair has come out and uh, he looks like a good candidate for recovery, but you know, you never really know. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's an awful lot of people that are listening right now that are living on those budgets that you talk about, the sort of ish, low budget, um, not enough money. We talk here on The Shift about how to uh, live in today's world and, and make money and save money and pay off your bills. And I know that there's a large portion of the population that listens to The Shift that are just not in there. Um, you know, we are gainfully employed today. We are healthy today. Uh, that could change by the end of the day today. And um, there are people out there that when we talk about spending money on new sneakers here on the shift, which we often talk about, some people get upset because, you know, I can't afford sneakers. And some people say I'm buying ramen noodles 
and butter to, to be able to make ends meet for nourishment for dinner because I have $7 to get through for the rest of the week this week. How do we have that conversation? Because I don't want anybody who is healthy to feel guilty about being healthy either. They get to live into their lives. They get to do that. But let's not forget about the other people that we have around us as well. So how do we have that delicate conversation, Andrea, and make sure that everybody feels included? I think that there's a subtle action that can be taken. Uh, Finding out some information online about a Canada disability benefit and being educated on that. And there's other action. So there's absolutely no reason to feel guilty for, you know, being able to meet your needs and going to the movies, etc. There is action that can be taken, like speaking to a member of parliament. So speaking to an MP and saying, I know about this issue. I, I want there something to be done about this issue. And these are the possibilities. Right? And you don't necessarily have to be marching down the street with the sign, but you can make the phone call. And uh, I think that just opening the door for people even to not be ashamed of the word disability, then I'm sure there will be a lot more conversations about action that can be taken. Uh, the website to go if you want to directly connect to that is disabilitywithoutpoverty.ca. The connection between poverty and disability, though, that's undeniable. It's undeniable. And while some families have incredible structure and support systems that maybe give you uh, someone who is not able to work. Um, There's people with disabilities that work all the time, but some people can't. Um, And they would love to have an online business or knit hats and sell them for 10 bucks and, or whatever it might be. But when you can't afford the internet or the computer, because it's so darn expensive, that's where this vacuum really starts to suck people in, isn't it? That there's sometimes there just isn't a family infrastructure to help out. Yeah, I I was afforded the opportunity from support from my own family that when I couldn't afford groceries, people would quietly drop off, you know, gift cards for the grocery store, et cetera. And I had health care, which uh, allowed me to have the medication I needed, et cetera. Uh, but just some some awareness and some conversation and I mean, you know, just kind of circling back to the comedy piece, there are comedians that talk about disability in a way that creates uh, awareness in a positive manner. So there's a, a comedian named Taylor Tomlinson who has a comedy special on Netflix, a recent comedy, and it's definitely for mature audiences and it's definitely hmm. hilarious and vulgar. Uh, she shares an intimate look at her struggles with mental health and grief and dating Uh, And it puts a spotlight on her successes within her mental health issues. So she's standing in front of this enormous body of people and she tells them, uh, I have an issue with mental health and depression. I've taken these medication and they've really helped. Has anyone else here taken these? And she yells it out and suddenly people are laughing and putting their hands up. And then it's kind of like a uh, you know, new intake of fresh breath air for those people that suddenly think I'm not alone in this. And there's this successful woman on the stage that's talking about this medication. Well, and let's not forget um, the fact that, you know, Coda wins an Oscar at that same show that has, you know, sign language as the core of it. Um, 
and and uh, the story of a family that you know uses sign language and has a, um, a disability as the core of that family, right? I mean, I would add that, and I would also add that there's another comedian. If you really want to look him up, if you're looking for something that resonates with me, because I used to stutter when I was a kid, and they didn't know if it was a a, a cognitive thing or my uncle also is uh, epileptic and he would stutter, so they didn't know if I was parroting my uncle or if I was at the time I was just little. I still find that I stutter from time to time, but the comedian's name is Andrew Lynch. He was on America's Got Talent, I believe. He's amazing. And he does exactly that too. He gets up on stage and he says, look, I have a stutter. I'm a comedian. And he makes fun of actually the times when he doesn't stutter, when he wishes he would um, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's very observational. It's fun and playful. And for those who say, you know, what about comedy? You're telling me we can't make jokes anymore. There are there's a long list of comedians that can make jokes about life with disabilities that are loving and kind and observational and supportive. And in fact, you're going to have people with those disabilities laughing, going, yep, that's me right there. Just did that. That happened to me, too. And then there are people that are hurtful. And um, and uh, and that seems to be what's happened here. So it's it's not a broad stroke about about the comedy and and it still takes me back andrea to what a lost opportunity we had we were given you talk about being gifts given gifts in life that was an opportunity for those people to go full stop into integrity and character and go whoa 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 this this okay i get it it happens and it was not intended i didn't know i didn't know that this was a thing or i did know and i screwed up i took a, a low pick fruit pot shot that was wrong. Like that still needs to happen. I think it needs to get cleaned up that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and this is the opportunity right here. You and I have chosen this window of opportunity and this platform for conversation about disability awareness. And I love the fact that you brought up uh, Troy Kutzer. So the first man who's deaf to win an Academy Award for acting, and he collects the trophy for best actor in a supporting role for CODA. So CODA stands for children of deaf adults. And when he received the award, he said, this is dedicated to the deaf community, the CODA community, and the disability community. This is our moment. So this is opportunity for, for you and I to say, this is about disability awareness. This is about disability culture. This is about action. And the opportunity doesn't just stop within the Oscars. We now have this opportunity to continue the conversation. I'd like to paint a picture for everybody. Imagine if that the unfolding of the joke and the things had gone with a little bit more integrity around disability in general and gone and been like, full stop, we need to clean this up right now. And then you've got CODA winning awards, right? And then you've got um, the, the all the, there was such a long list of things that have now been forgotten about the Oscars that happened that were astounding. That could have been the most amazing Oscars um, of all time for very different reasons uh, than what happened. And um, it could have gone from ugly to quite beautiful just in the split second of a moment. And isn't that so true mm -hmm. when we get scared and we, we don't know how to deal with things and we don't stop and we don't ask those questions, Andrea, that's everyday life unfolding right there on TV. I agree. Power, power of influence. And I mean, you can also talk about the missed opportunity for Will Smith when he wins this large award, but suddenly the conversation is about violence. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and not only yeah, God, we could keep going. I mean, there's the 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 Serena sister, or the Venus uh, and Serena Williams sisters, who uh, the the movie was about their dad, mm-hmm. um, and that gets eroded here too. Can I ask a question about you and your memory? Of course, yeah. So with your epilepsy, um, uh, your memory you've shared with us earlier in this as well is uh, is not great at times, and uh, you've always invited me. You say, just remind me uh, if we've done this before. Um, but does that give you an opportunity if you look at um, the blessings that you're given to really lean into the presence? Because you are cognitively aware that the memory does go, and sometimes you just don't remember those things. And and does that does that give you an opportunity to create differently in your life in the presence of the moment? You know what? To be honest, the memory piece is the part that I I like the least about the disability because I've experienced uh, many conversations and situations and happenings that I can't remember. And so sometimes that means I have to uh, work off intuition, which isn't always the the best. But um, I mean, it allows me to live in the present moment, but without the context of past events sometimes i don't make the best decisions Mm. or uh, i can't build off of past opportunities Mm -hmm. Um, and i mean not to mention i went to school for business and i took statistics and i forgot everything and all things so wow (laughs) do you take a lot of notes is that one of the ways you get through lots of notes so many notes i have notes all over the place i often will write words when i'm uh, feeling strongly about something so right beside me right now i have the words action self-esteem change opportunity anger sadness frustration disability community so that means that when you and I are speaking here, if I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed or I'm having a memory problem, I can look down and be inspired by one of those words. Do you ever look at uh, some of the words you've written and get inspired by yourself where you go, huh, I wrote that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I go back to stories that I've published or situations I've been in and uh, it, you know, for the self-esteem piece, I think, okay, I'm not doing so bad. You know, some days are worse and some days are better. And some days I need to read that piece and think, you know, okay, I love myself. Yeah. Well, uh, we love you here and we love the contribution in, in this conversation. Uh, I'll share with the shift heads that I had the intention in January. It started in my notes as in my calendar appointment to reach out. We're overdue to get together for a coffee. And, and uh, that has been a recurring uh, thing for weeks now. And so given the opportunity to, uh, come full circle and get that started again. It's very exciting for me. And I do look forward to um, sharing more about this. If if I'm going to be critical of Will Smith and say what a missed opportunity that was, wouldn't I be out of integrity if I didn't take this opportunity to continue it forward? And so I'm going to work to not be a hypocrite. And we will continue this conversation again really soon, I hope. Yeah, great. And thanks for thanks for having me, Shane. And Uh, thanks for taking the opportunity to continue positive change. I love it. Thank you so much for, that's very generous in in all the words and all the things. Andrea Van uh, Van Voot joins us here on The Shift and the conversation is about disability awareness, provincial director of Alberta of disability without poverty, because those two are directly connected, that's for sure. And invisible disabilities is where Andrea's stand also sits. Thanks so much, Andrea. It's great to see you. Nice to see you too. This is The Shift Podcast. 
in Odessa, Ukraine, Hannah Shalist, PhD, Foreign Policy Council of Ukrainian Prism, joins us. Hi, Hannah. Good morning and good night. Well, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's always the cro- the crossover of time that we get to speak. It's sort of two at once. Uh, Hannah, you've shared with us in Odessa springtime as being one of the most beautiful times of the year. Before we get into the, the all the hard stuff about what's going on, I was wondering if you could maybe share with us um, the look out your window. I know you always, you seem to glow a little bit when you share about Odessa and the Black Sea and the beauty of where you live. I was wondering if you could share the uh, beauty of springtime and what it looks like for us in Odessa today. You know, this year, the spring is quite late. Uh, usually at this time, we already have the first greens and the city is changing the view. Uh, not yet, uh, but at least it is already possible to take a few, um, a first cup of coffee outside. That's what we did yesterday while walking uh, with the dogs in the downtown. And that's really uh, bringing a certain hope in the air uh, when you're looking around, but still extremely surreal because usually at this time, everybody are walking along the sea line. And uh, definitely now that is just impossible. Must be quiet without the tourists around, because I would assume a year, well, I guess you had COVID. So a couple of years ago, uh, Odessa probably filled with tourists coming to check out your city. You know, what is interesting that even during the COVID, we had a lot of tourists, but they've been predominantly local tourists. Um, right. Even that the international tourism was not very, uh, like it, it was not closed here as in many other countries. Uh, if you've been especially vaccinated, it was easier to do. But a lot of people from Kiev, from Lviv, have been coming just for a, a few days because in Odessa, luckily, we had quite a good situation with COVID. So people enjoyed uh, the certain relaxation and fresh sea um, uh, air, what's extremely important for your house Mm -hmm. yeah it sounds beautiful i can't wait to see it um your work that you do is always i summarize this and i hope i'm accurate when i do it but really the ukrainian prism in your work you do is about information and clarity accuracy and and all of those pieces so uh insert russia's invasion of ukraine clarity and information becomes one of the most valuable of the commodities one of the photos i saw of odessa it claims to be odessa um, where citizens are pitching in and starting to build barricades in the streets um, to to protect the city. I mean, you share the beauty of going for a walk with a coffee and taking the dogs. Um, is or Do you see that stuff yet, or is that more on the eastern outskirts? No, you know, in the downtown, the whole downtown is closed now with the uh, special barricades, uh, like the uh, um, both the cultural heritage, the uh, monuments and the opera. Um, uh, that is one of the uh, masterpieces of the European architecture. All of them are closed heavily. And that's really interesting because usually in March, you see how people are working a lot on the beach because they are preparing their cafes, restaurants and discos for the uh, uh, summer period. But now you see also the work is just uh, blowing there. But the problem is that it is not for preparation for the cafes, but it is the preparation of the sandbags that then sent to the downtown uh, for um, not just barricading, but first of all, protecting. We prefer to use this word because uh, the main idea is definitely to to defend and to protect uh, the city. And uh, barricades also done from all the metal constructions. For example, yesterday the mayor ordered to uh, took off a lot of of the advertisement constructions, you know, these big for the big boards. uh, three for six meters, uh, most of them are from the metal. So they are now took off so you can make these special constructions that can uh, block the road in case of any um, land operation. 
So what does that look like? Can you give us an update? I mean, your eyes you've shared and the eyes of your people are on the sea to make sure that Russia isn't coming from that perspective. That's a vulnerability there because of the um, the possibility of the Black Sea landing close in Odessa. Plus, of course, there is the operations that have gone on with the invasion to the east of you. We had a guest on um, this week, uh, Hannah. You'd be so proud. Um, her name was Veronica. And her family's from Berdyansk, and she's living in Vancouver. She's 21 years old. Her family has evacuated from Berdyansk, and, um, but she's still in Vancouver here in Canada. She's fundraising, and the link is on our shiftheads.ca Facebook group for everyone who wants to see it and if you, if donating is appropriate for bulletproof vests for the volunteer fighters, the, the national volunteer fighters. And with the group that they've fundraised about 53 vests now, it's about a thousand dollars Canadian per vest. And she's on her own campaign to get 20 more, 21 years old. And so she described what Mariupol to Berdyansk and what that looked like as you got uh, closer uh, to the west of Kherson and uh, Mykolaiv. And then, and, and then getting closer to Odessa from east to west along the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov. Uh, she was amazing, by the way. Um, and what a neat human being. Um, can you tell us what you see from Odessa? Um, with, with with Russian troops to the east. Yeah, you're right that the situation is uh, um, like it's really coming from the east to, to the west, and now more shelling is happening on the east. It looks like the last few days Russians decided completely to concentrate on the Donetsk and Lugansk regions, and Mariupol uh, is part of the uh, of Donetsk uh, region. We know the tragedy there. It's still uh, so many people, several uh, hundred thousand people being blocked uh, in the humanitarian disaster situation, almost a genocide um, in the city. The fightings continue. Uh, Burdansk, uh, better situation in terms of the humanitarian situation because the city is occupied but not heavily shelled and uh, uh, but the, the fighting is still happening like uh, the last week with the Russian ship that being sunk by the Ukrainian missile. From this part in uh, Kherson the situation is okay in terms of humanitarian because the city is occupied but at the same time uh, uh, the situation is very bad in terms of the human rights because Russians started to use weapons against the peaceful demonstration and they started to arrest journalists and activists. Mykolaiv yesterday experienced a very heavy shelling against the uh, main administrative building, the governor office. It is the nine-store building. Uh, seven people uh, confirmed dead, uh, more than 30 wounded, and still uh, quite a number of people um, in search. Uh, and the, the photos are, are just devastating. It's just the hole in the middle of the uh, big building. It was definitely the attempt to uh, target the uh, uh, governor, who is the famous guy. He became a TikTok star. Uh, here with his uh, evening uh, briefs, uh, but at the same time, it's definitely an attempt to demonstrate what are the weak points of the defense, uh, because uh, the uh, landing of amphibious operation was not that much possible even against Mykolaiv, not speaking about Odessa, where security and defense is stronger. But that is the air defense. And here, definitely, Russians are using all the possibilities of the forces they have in Crimea, but not only in Crimea. Um, and uh, they are using both uh, uh, the bombs from the aircraft and the long-range uh, missiles uh, to target any of the objects that they uh, consider significant in the towns. That, that image of that building with the big hole in the middle, I mean, that is absolutely stunning. My goodness, the... Um... The devastation is is unbelievable. I, I do recommend for everyone else who doesn't know that to please um, please look it up. Um, 
uh, it, it's it's quite remarkable. Uh, what what's the tone in Odessa, um, Hannah? Is is everyone still positive? Is is this is is it one of those inevitable things? I mean, I would like to ask you about you know peace talks and and changes in strategy and all those things in a moment. Before we get there, though, that that tone with your family and friends. I mean, you are still able to go for a walk and have a coffee, but there must be this sort of uh, metaphorical dark cloud of of stress sitting above above you. Uh, you know, this, uh, pro- that's probably in the mood of the city because we experienced uh, uh, very difficult uh, wars in the past. I mean, the First World War and the Second World War were very heavy. Uh, for uh, Odessa, we are one of the so-called hero cities after the Second World War. And we still have a lot of people who remember definitely the Second World War and aftermaths. Uh, that's why this combination of the attempts to humor uh, to continue the uh, normal life as much as possible, some business, uh, but at the same time, heavy preparations uh, for the fight, uh, it, it just go hand in hand. So you, you cannot say that because cafes are opening, people became more relaxed. It's just because people understand that this war is not a three days war, six days war. Uh, that is uh, unfortunately uh, already more than a month, and we are expecting at least a month or two of the same uh, uh, developments. Uh, but economy should work. People should eat something people should earn something and if such small things can both influence psychologically positively the population and uh, uh, positively influence the economy uh, that that should be developed and the local authorities are trying to stimulate such things so we're hearing peace talks Um, inside peace talks there is this neutrality conversation of not being a part of nato there is the conversation around what happens to Donetsk in that region? Um, there has been speculation around the way that I described it a couple of days ago, which I think is people can relate to, is sort of an east-west Germany scenario um, that is getting proposed in some ways. You know, maybe there's a wall. I don't know. Um, all of these things seem wild to me. Maybe you can just share your thoughts from your Ukrainian prism clarity perspective of what you're you're seeing and hearing about those conversations. Um, I definitely don't want to speculate because uh, as soon as we haven't seen the full text of the uh, possible agreement, um, all our statements are speculations and subjective views. But at the same time, uh, uh, some of the statements made yesterday are really worrying, and we've been discussing it within the experts community. Nobody really can understand uh, the um, reality of the implementation of how it goes. And let's go just for a few elements. For example, uh, there are conversations that the status of Crimea can be discussed within 15 years. Uh, honestly, we can't imagine how that can happen and what will be with the people of Crimea, Crimean Tatars, considering that now we have the case uh, for the um, discrimination of their rights in the International Court of Justice because they just were named terrorists by the Russian Federation. So it doesn't mean that for 15 years the rights of these people would not be uh, um, secured. Or then it is the conversation about um, that Donetsk and Lugansk uh, questions will be discussed separately, that they would not become part of the uh, 
um, this peace agreement. Again, the question, we are talking about the uh, um, uh, uh, separate districts of Lugansk and Donetsk region, so-called Ordlo, that is uh, now not under the control of Ukraine and being part of the Minsk agreements, uh, or as uh, the Russian Federation claims that they would like to speak about the whole regions of Donetsk and Lugansk regions, uh, administrative regions, but that is uh, twice more territory, and many of these territory are, for the last eight years, under control of Ukraine, and for example, my uh, aunt is living there, and the city even now is not experiencing luckily fighting, so it doesn't mean that we are just giving uh, this land to uh, unknown. Then, in terms of neutrality, that is probably the most disputable issue, because here, uh, I even don't know from where to start, because uh, first, the, uh, our idea to join NATO is stated in our constitution. To change our constitution, you need not to have wartime, to have constitutional court decision, and to have two sessions of the parliament voting two-thirds of their um, uh, members of parliament. That should take at least a year, um, and it's not so easy to change. Referendum. Referendum also cannot be taken uh, during the uh, uh, wartime. So it means that we can confirm any agreements like this only after um, the total end of the war and withdrawal of the Russian forces uh, from the territory. But this exchange of so-called neutrality to some kind of the peace agreements, uh, here again plenty of questions. First of all, we don't know any examples of such agreements in the history. The only more or less similar, it is the US-Japan agreement after the Second World War. But one very important element that the United States forces being stationed in uh, Japan or on Japan islands to protect Japan. And here, what is in these discussions from yesterday, we heard that no foreign military bases can be stationed at the territory of Ukraine, what is prohibited even now by our constitution, but Russians insist on this point. And even for the exercises with some uh, foreign arms forces, for example, with Canada, we need to ask the permission of the guarantors of our security. Sounds really strange. Yep, as for the sovereign and independent state, none it of is. the neutral states have these uh, rules. And even yeah. more, who will be these guarantors? China? Israel? Can you imagine this situation? Uh, China is fighting against the Russian Federation for the security of Ukraine. Honestly, I can't. Yeah, well, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like it's fit at all in any way. And and then again, what happens with Ukraine claiming neutrality? In general, and then, you know, seven years later, like Crimea, Russia just goes, hey, by the way, we've changed our mind. You know, I mean, it's not like Russia has a history of sticking to the plan. Exactly. And here also, like in this situation, um, the Russian Federation is the uh, aggressor, according to the all international norms, and it's confirmed by the United Nations. How can you make aggressor a guarantor of your uh, security? It, it's yeah. it, it really sounds quite odd. And uh, the fact that the proposal is that five permanent members of the Security Council of the United Nations, so the U.S., um, United Kingdom, Russia, China, and France, uh, must be uh, these guarantors, plus additional countries that they uh, discussed. And uh, here is really the question. If Russia is blocking all decisions of the Security Council now, and in that proposal, by the way, that's a very interesting moment, it's not automatic defense of Ukraine in case of any aggression. First, it should be three days consul political consultations, and then they can use any force to protect Ukraine. So um, the only threat we have now is the Russian Federation. Can you imagine that they are starting the new attack? We are calling for the three days political um, consultations, and then Russia is blocking again any type of the military support for Ukraine. So there is no change to the situation that we are now. 
Ah, it's complicated. There's so many different layers that, that are going on here. And the, one of the conversations we had, uh, here on the shift, uh, with Brendan Kelly, who you spoke to on the console there is that pretty much if you want to figure out what Russia is going to do, listen to what they say and expect the opposite. Much like the comments about withdrawing from Kyiv because they're changing and, and they're going home as opposed to just refocusing and going somewhere else. I mean, it seems to me that every time that Russia says they're going to pack up and go here, expect them to go there. Uh, very often, yep, we, we definitely saw it, and especially you're right with Kiev, like it's been a heavy shelling of Kiev this night, and officially yesterday they announced that there are two compromises that they're making, that they're withdrawing from Chernigov and from Kiev. Both cities being bombed uh, this night. If that means withdrawal, um, quite a strange withdrawal for sure. Yeah. Uh, th- that's why, I mean, uh, uh, the problem of these negotiations uh, is that we don't have clear information and uh, th- that's normal for the peace talks, so, so that's that's always like this. But at least we need to know the red lines and to know the mechanism that they will uh, propose in case these proposals are becoming public. Uh, but what is interesting, you know, by the way, that yesterday we tried to uh, search the Russian uh, social networks and people, they are also completely disappointed uh, with the results of negotiations. And it was uh, a very strong opposition saying like, our guys died not for this. You promised us completely different. And also including Crimea, because Putin for all these years uh, told that Crimea is finished business. He's not going to discuss whom it belongs. And now suddenly it is the question about 15 years negotiations about Crimea future. So as for now, we hear that the disappointment is coming from uh, those hoaxes in uh, the Russian Federation as well, uh, who've been uh, uh, supporting this war against Ukraine. Hannah Shalist, uh, Ukrainian prism in Odessa. Hannah, okay, I've been working on this. You taught me this. So my ability to speak Ukrainian is uh, lands squarely on you. So you told me last week, you said um, cheers, sort of like a, a salute, sort of cheers when, when you're with people. You said, now I'm going to try it again. Last time I did this, you laughed at me. Uh, Budimo. Oh, you really improved since the last week. I think you're just being nice, but I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing uh, just for you. So it's all I know, but uh, uh, Hannah is slowly teaching me one word at a time. Hannah, thank you for your generous sharing of your time and uh, keeping us in the loop. We really, really uh, appreciate it. I appreciate uh, your clarity that you provide. And you have this way of being able to bring these complicated political issues and geopolitical issues into a way that we can understand. And I'm really grateful for you uh, being a part of this conversation in Canada about your beautiful country. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the support of the Canadian people that we feel here. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.